Hello and welcome to this week's episode of When Life Gives You Lemons, Go Vegan, where I share people's incredible stories of hope after adopting a low-fat, whole-food vegan diet and overcoming many of today's chronic and debilitating lifestyle diseases such as multiple sclerosis, heart disease, stroke, rheumatoid arthritis, type 2 diabetes, and so many more. And this week... I'm speaking to naturopath Robin Shooter from Empower Total Health in Sydney. And she is so knowledgeable on this topic and was such a great person to speak with and learn from. And this interview is meant to come out last week. However, myself and my husband got confused and so it's coming out this week. So I apologise for the delay. Thank you so much to Robin and I really hope that you enjoy listening to Robin today and whenever you're listening to her and yeah getting to hear so much more information from a naturopath's perspective about why a low-fat whole food plant-based diet is the best for everyone for the animals for the planet and for our overall health so yeah enjoy so hello Robin how are you I'm I'm very well, thanks, Corinne. Thanks for having me on your podcast. That's great. Now, I've given people a background about you in the intro that I've recorded earlier, but you work at your beautiful business, Empower Total Health, and you work as a naturopath and you support people with basically, it sounds like mind, body, and kind of soul, like health, like diet, lifestyle, meditation, exercise, Focusing on all the reasons why we become unwell from the from the from the core in from inside out in a way is that is that kind of a, the gist? That's it. It's really treating things, uh, treating the cause of people's illnesses. And my initial training was as a naturopath. And to be honest, I I'm not particularly keen on that title, and I'm moving away from it. And I'm really really happy and proud to to be in the first cohort of Australian practitioners who sat the International Board of Lifestyle Medicine's exam. And so my official title is now Lifestyle Medicine Practitioner. I'm a certified lifestyle medicine practitioner, certified by the Australasian Society of Lifestyle Medicine, which is the Australian-New Zealand branch of this rapidly growing lifestyle medicine movement that's really spreading all around the world. There are so many chapters of lifestyle medicine in Europe and the US and throughout Asia, Asia Pacific region. And in Australia, membership is open not just to doctors, mostly throughout the world. This is exclusive to, to doctors, to medical practitioners. But the Australasian Society of Lifestyle Medicine also allows degree qualified professionals like me to become certified lifestyle medicine practitioners. And you're right, you know, it's it's about addressing the the addressing diseases at that causal level which includes nutrition but is not limited to nutrition it includes exercise and the quality and quantity of people's sleep and how much stress they have in their lives and how they're coping with that so it's really a broad spectrum approach to helping people get better from disease but more than that to achieve optimal health Wonderful. That is such such an incredible and important area of work to to grow and develop across across the world. So it's so exciting to hear that you're 
pioneering, a part of the pioneer movement of this in our country, which is awesome. I'm so excited to to be part of it. It is it is amazing and and transformative. Change is coming, and it's great to be on the vanguard of that change. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Definitely, I imagine. Robin also has an online program called Empower Ed. Is it a program or is it? Yes. So it's essentially, it's a health and nutrition education program. And I run this both for my own clients who like to geek out like I do. So we do really, really in-depth, you know, online webinars essentially on health topics as well as a monthly Q&A. And there's a lot of other material that's part of the Empower Ed program. But it's also for people who who aren't a client of mine for various reasons. Maybe maybe they're not sick enough. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> to hire me as a practitioner, but they're interested in maintaining their health or improving their health. And so I have people in both categories and uh, it's it's lots of fun. It's a really different dynamic to working one-on-one with people because I'm speaking to, you know, multiple people at once. Uh, the, the webinars are really participatory so people can ask questions and join in and it, it, it's great. I love it. That sounds really, really fun. Is that like a weekly thing or monthly thing or how often do you run that? There are, there are two live events a month. So there's a, a monthly Q&A and then a monthly in-depth webinar. And then we have a private Facebook group where I share a lot of interesting articles and people ask questions and kind of share their own success stories too, which is heaps of fun. Yeah, awesome. So I just want to backtrack to the beginning of your career because as you know, this podcast is about whole food, plant-based lifestyles. But I want to go back to when you first discovered a whole food, plant-based lifestyle and what happened in that, like where, what triggered you to get on board this way of eating and how did it impact on your kind of health and life personally? Mm. Well, my story in terms of whole food plant-based goes back before I began my, my career in health. I became an ethical vegetarian at the age of 15. I had always thought of myself as being an animal lover. And like you do often when you're a teenager, you know, you have these moments when you're thinking about yourself and your life and your values. And I realized that I was just so morally inconsistent, <laughs> so hypocritical, in fact, to say I'm an animal lover when I'm I ate them. <laughs> I wasn't killing them, but I was, you know, essentially a customer of, of the meat industry. Now, this was in the late 1980s, and so there was there wasn't the internet. There weren't even that many books around. I had no idea that, uh, from an animal cruelty point of view, the dairy industry was even worse than the meat industry and, and so was the egg industry. So I became a very bad vegetarian. I cut out the meat, chicken and fish and I ate more dairy products and eggs. And so I gained weight and I had terrible acne and awful digestive issues. It was it was really, you know, quite um uh, quite a travail, as a matter of fact. I suffered from pretty severe fatigue throughout my later teens and I had these chronic sore throats. There are all sorts of things that were going wrong with my health. And I didn't really put that down to diet. I didn't I didn't get any help from any doctors that I saw on it. No one had any clues at all. And then 
when I was in my late teens, my, my dad was diagnosed with type 2 diabetes and I then found out that that really ran through my family. His father had been a type 2 diabetic. He died of a stroke. My mother's mother had been a type 2 diabetic. She died of a heart attack. Lots of other relatives uh, had diabetes and the complications of it, including heart, heart attacks and strokes. And by that stage, I had begun studying naturopathy uh, not with any particular interest in, in nutrition at that point. I mean, I was interested in nutrition, but it wasn't really a driving force. Very fortunately, though, my, my first lecturer, my first nutrition lecturer was a an osteopath who was in the natural hygiene movement. And so he promoted not just a vegetarian diet, but a real, he didn't use the terminology at the time. This this was mid-90s by, by, no, sorry, this was 91. I began naturopathic college. 91? Yeah, 91. And so the, the term whole food plant-based wasn't around. You know, there was no China study. This is, this is going way back. And so he, he advocated a, a vegan diet, but a healthy vegan diet. That's when I started changing my diet and then subsequently in, you know, four years of, of naturopathic training, I learned a lot more about the role that diet played in nutrition. To be honest, it wasn't so much part of my curriculum. No. It was my extracurricular reading. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I was thinking that. <laughs> By that stage, I was pretty keen on nutrition and I wasn't that keen on all the other stuff that I was learning like bark flower remedies and Schussler tissue salts and God knows what else. But I'd really sort of latched on to nutrition. And so one book led to another book led to another book. I watched um, Michael Clapper's video, A Diet for All Reasons, and and then the China study came out. I was already in practice by that stage, and I'd sort of been moving closer and closer and closer to this notion of a whole food plant-based diet. But it, was, it wasn't until I read the China study that I found a name for it. <laughs> <laughs> so that was quite a way into into my my practice but uh, yeah discovering the benefit of a whole food plant-based diet for myself and for my clients was really just transformative so for your health benefits so you notice a lot like significant health benefits in in yourself yes Yes. So like I said, I gained weight on my awful vegetarian diet in my teens. And although I never got really, really overweight, I was definitely carrying a lot more than I was comfortable with. And of course, whole food plant-based makes it so easy to, to get to your you know, comfortable weight for you and to, and to stay there while still eating a lot of food, which is great because I do like food. And all of those sore throats and the constipation issues and the fatigue that I'd had in my teens just went away. I mean, I'm 46 now. I have more energy than I had when I was a teenager, for sure. I can put in really long days. I do a lot of exercise. My fitness is so much better. I just feel a million dollars on this diet. It is so amazing. It, it's it, it's like it's like you know you're youthing rather than aging. <laughs> It's very, very cool. It's so cool. Um, that's awesome. So, I oh, I forgot to mention. I also had terrible skin. Oh, how how could I have forgotten that? Acne is 
catastrophic when you're a teenager. It's as in I don't actually have any photos from that era of my life because I hated the way I looked and I just tore up all the school photos and so forth. I mean, look, this was pre-digital cameras, right? So it's pretty easy to expunge your record. Yeah, yeah, thank <laughs> God. Um, and, and oh, look, the, a whole food plant-based diet has been so fabulous for my skin. Uh, I was really plagued with acne and it is so awful. It's, it's, people kind of underestimate. They underestimate, especially right in that time when you're, you're hyper-focused on your, on yourself. That's it. And being. Included and people being carry. accepted and 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 having boys think you you know, have a bag over your head and oh and the names that people call you when you have acne it's just the pits I feel my heart just bleeds for when I'm out and about or when I have clients you know, have terrible acne my heart just bleeds them I know what they've gone through and and actually acne is is linked to a higher risk of of, of, of hormone related diseases including breast cancer and prostate cancer so it's not just the issue of of self-esteem and and um cosmetic appearance and all the rest of teens it's the fact that we we need to help teenagers who are plagued with acne to understand that that they they have terrible skin because of the way that they're living and it's bringing them at risk of some really serious diseases down the line yeah. So yes, whole food plant based, so good for skin. Keeps the skin really clear. You get a nice kind of, you know, uh, glow to your skin. I noticed that in my clients as soon as they change their diets, even before they lose weight and get off their meds and whatever, they just look better. And other people comment on it too. It's one, one of the fabulous things that, that people get such good feedback early on in their in their progress with the diet, even before they solve their major health issues. Can you just explain, even though people should know, because I bang on about it all the time, but just give your definition of what a whole food plant-based diet is, because people think that vegan, going vegan will have these results, but there's a, there's a, there's a broad spectrum of what it means to be vegan, and, and even though everyone should know, just a refresher, in case this is the only list part podcast you've listened to of this, of this podcast episode, and you don't know anything, and you've just stumbled on it by accident... Let, let Robin explain to you what we're talking about. We're talking about a whole food plant, low-fat whole food plant-based diet. Yeah, I'm so glad you you made that point. I see a lot of ethical vegans in my practice. Um, the problem for vegans is that a lot of health practitioners don't accept their dietary choices, think that they're irresponsible, think that a, a you know a diet without animal products is inherently deficient. And so, something like 60, 70% of my clients are actually already vegans. But boy, you can eat badly on a vegan diet. So a whole food plant-based diet comprises fruits, vegetables, whole grains, legumes, nuts and seeds in, in limited quantities, especially limited if you have certain illnesses like cardiovascular disease or if you're trying to lose weight. And so it's called whole food because you're eating these foods in as close as possible to the form in which they grew when they were hanging off a tree or growing under the ground or is sprouting off a, off, off a vine or something like that. So the kinds of processing that we do at home with basic kitchen equipment like chopping and blending and so forth, that's totally fine. But if, if you're looking at, say, 
a soy burger made of soy protein isolate. Uh, there's no way you can make that thing at home, right? So my simple rule of thumb is if, if I couldn't make it at home with, with some fairly simple kitchen equipment, it doesn't belong in a whole food plant-based diet. Perfect, perfect. Thank you for that. I wanted to talk about, because you're saying how you've got, you have mostly um, vegans, ethical vegans um, in your practice, but I wanted to just talk about what what they've noticed and what you've noticed as far as once they do make the transition, like what kind of positive benefits have they experienced from adopting this way of living? Yeah, so let, let's distinguish then between, I suppose, the two major groupings in my practice, which is the people who come to me already on a plant-based diet but but not they're not getting it to work for them because of their dietary choices. And then there's the people with chronic illness who have never heard of a whole food plant-based diet and I have to sell them on its benefits. They're a whole other category. So first of all, the, the ethical vegans, typically they will come because they have skin issues, weight issues, or just sort of general run-of-the-mill health concerns. Some of them have more serious illnesses, but but generally speaking, they're, they're you know they're in for a tune-up. And so what they notice when they cut out the processed vegan junk food, when they ditch the all the coconut oil, uh, you know, raw food treats, and the soy burgers, and the pizza with the fake vegan cheese, and all the rest of it, is their digestive system starts working properly. They're no longer constipated. They don't get reflux. Their skin clears up. That's just about guaranteed. Um, if they were feeling fatigued, they get more energy. They they just the head oh headaches and migraines. That's a big thing. They clear up when people cut out the salty, overprocessed junk vegan food. Mm, mm, oh, wonderful. And. Now I want to move on to you were talking about they have people who haven't been vegan, have never been vegan, and I and I wanted to talk about the struggles that they because I guess it's probably interesting interesting to people because you've been ve- vegetarian for a long time so maybe it, well, we could talk about yours. Did you have any struggles as well when you first tried to get to a whole food? What, what was the challenge that you faced when you tried to go to a whole food plant based diet? We'll start there and then we'll move. Yeah. So I guess like anyone else, I had, I suppose, attachments to certain foods. And, and some of it was really from a practical point of view. Like if I, if I use an egg in this recipe, what do I replace it with? And then some of it was more on that addictive level of, you know, boy, I really love feta cheese. My, my first real boyfriend was Greek and oh man Greek salads with feta that was a thing and so the thought of sort of not having cheese uh, ever again in my life it, it, it didn't disturb me for a while and then, then I found tofeta and thought well that's fine you know I've, I've got a substitute for that now so for me it was I, I, I love cooking um I learned to cook when I was quite young. I learned to cook from Margaret Fulton's Encyclopedia of Cooking, which perhaps some of your younger viewers, younger listeners won't be familiar with, but Margaret Fulton was very much that traditional English-style butter and cream and sugar and white flour and lots and lots of meat. But, but I did have 
I, what I did pick up from that book was was the the process of cooking and the techniques of cooking. And so, because I had that background, when it came time to sort of substitute various um, uh, foods for the eggs and the dairy and, and and just more processed foods, I had the cooking skills to be able to make that transition. Whereas I, what I see now, particularly among my younger clients, but when I run cooking classes, I must say I still see this among older people as well, they don't have the basic cooking skills. They don't know their way around a the kitchen. They don't have nice skills. They don't know how to use all sorts of, of, of what I would consider basic cooking techniques. So that was that was something that although my my culinary education from Margaret Fulton wasn't particularly health promoting, it did at least equip me with skills that helped me navigate that transition. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. <laughs> did you have any pushback from family and friends? A lot of people talk about, you know, my husband will never do this, my kids will never do this. I'm making three meals, and I don't want I have the time to make three different meals. Yeah, when I first went vegetarian. I, this sounds so funny to say, I didn't actually tell my, my family for the first six months. I would, uh, mum would serve me up dinner, you know, meat and three veg. I grew up in a very traditional meat and three veg household. And I would cut up my sausage or chop or steak or whatever or piece of chicken and feed it to the dog. And so no one noticed what I was doing. <laughs> How did they not find out? They just it tells you a lot about what was going on in my family at the time. What did they say when you finally came clean? Well, I was afraid that they would have a bad reaction to it. But when I finally sort of told my mother, actually, I really don't want to eat meat anymore, she, she sort of had a bit of a think about it. And then she said, well, that's okay, because her, her parents had been Seventh-day Adventists. And so they were raised in that tradition of, of vegetarian diet, not a vegan diet, but a vegetarian diet, and a relatively healthy one. And although her mother subsequently abandoned that, which is why she gained weight, became diabetic and died of a heart attack, my, my mother's father had actually stuck to a vegetarian diet his whole life. So he was this bicycle-riding, non-smoking, no, non-drinking Seventh-day Adventist who would probably still be with us today if he hadn't had a car accident, which is what took him out, unfortunately. Um, so my mother wasn't really shocked or horrified, and, 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 and she said, well, we'll just get you sanitarium products. And I don't even know if these things are around now, but I, I then proceeded to live off nuttoline and nut meat. Nuttoline, by the way, looks like pal. <laughs> <laughs> they are still around. I I tried one just like a for the kids. I thought people eat this weird stuff. Let's just give it a shot. Um, like at, like a year ago, and we opened up. I opened the tin and went, "Oh, this is going in the bin." And we just put it in the bin. <laughs> Well, see, my mother has never been a particularly keen cook, and so that that became my staple. Did you like it at the time? Was it fine? I didn't mind it, and and this, uh, you get used to what you get used you get, to. You really. do indeed, and I think I was just sick of eating the three veg without meat. So really, anything that kind of stuck to my ribs was was looking pretty good at that stage. Uh, my my father was relatively supportive. My brother and sister, 
Oh, my goodness. That's a whole other story, especially my older brother gave me such a hard time and there were there were many arguments and tears over my dietary choices at that time. The whole family was sort of gang up on me and, and, and teased me about it and, you know, offered to put a steak on the barbecue for me. It was, it was actually pretty awful for the first few years and, until I learned to stop crying when I was teased. <laughs> And, uh, and come up with some smart aleck remarks that, that, that would shut the whole thing down. Um, so it probably took about 10 to 15 years for, for my family. And by this by this time, I mean like the whole extended family, um, sister's boyfriend and husband's girlfriend, and, uh, uh, sorry, sister's boyfriend and, 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 and um, brother's girlfriend and all the rest of it, for them to actually accept my way of eating. And now I don't get any problems from them. Can I ask you, just for young people who, I don't, I don't know if young people would listen to this because, you know, I'm a middle-aged woman and they like the hip young podcast of young people that talk about young things that I don't know about, but <laughs> I've forgotten about now. For people who might be listening, just t- talking about that, what would be something that you could suggest for them to, which I should have actually talked more about in the Carolyn Mann as well because she talks about that as well, um, to... Because two years crying is pretty hard, you know, for something that you believe in. Is there anything that you would recommend kids do to try and help make that a bit easier when your family are being complete jerks to you? Is there anything now looking back that you're like, you know, perhaps if I had have done this differently or said this differently or ignored this? I, I don't know. Is there any? I don't know. I'm just, just thinking now when you're saying it. Like it's a long time to be bullied by your family. It was. It, it was pretty awful. And it, my, my school friends were on the whole supportive, but, but, you know, kids at school can say horrible things as well. Um, to be honest, the advice that I, I would give now would probably, I, I would echo Doug Lyle and not, not sort of stake my claim. Like I was very um, I suppose judgmental of other people. You, you kind of get that way when you feel attacked and cornered. And I'd probably take that Doug Lyle approach where you say, look, this is an experiment. I'm just trying this out. I'm going to do it for a month and then see how it works out for me. Because it really does, I recommend that approach to my clients and it really does get people off your back. They go, oh, okay, fair enough. And and then at the end of the month, if they say, so how did the experiment go? Well, I'm not quite sure. I'm going to do it for another two months and see how it works out. <laughs> it's such a good way of talking about it. It super is. And then and then obviously if people show interest in it, you can say, yeah, well, you know, this, this is what I read. And that's what inspired me. Do you want me to lend you this book? But it's so much better to do that. And now, of course, we've got all these docos. So you can say, hey, watch What the Health or watch Forks Over Nice. It's so much better to have people be educated by somebody other than you because if it's you telling them that, then there's there's some there's some element of, of like you're, you're trying to persuade them or whatever. Whereas if you just say, hey, I read this book and, and, it, and it gave me the idea to try this. If you're interested, you might want to read it too. Or I saw this YouTube video and it got me thinking, you know, do you want me to share it with you? So that's what I'd encourage people to do, especially younger people, because they're so that that's how that's how they do things, right? They they do things on social media. So why not share a link to that that YouTube video that that really, you know, made you think? Or send them off to watch something on Netflix 
rather than you getting in their face and saying, well, you should eat this way and you should stop eating that and don't you know how bad this is for you? Because people get defensive when you talk about their food choices. Honestly, people get less defensive when you talk about religion than when you talk about food choices. They're just so attached to the way that they eat. It's, it's crazy. It actually is crazy. It's amazing to me. People get so bent out of shape. And I don't know whether I would have because, you know, I don't know. I guess I was always curious. I don't think I was ever defensive. I was always just curious. But I guess lots of people that I've met are defensive. <laughs> yeah, yeah you're, you're right about that. I think people have a, a sort of fundamental mindset about new information. And I was, I was a pretty... Really looking back, I was a pretty weird kid. I mean, I was I was reading Timothy Leary's you know, work when I when I was 14, 15 and getting into yoga and all sorts of things that weren't terribly mainstream. And so this whole thing of vegetarianism didn't seem that weird to me, but um, it was clearly very, very weird to most of the people around me and, and it was triggering for them. It's funny when you don't recognise that you're weird. Like, you know, everyone everyone is weird and everyone who's listening who's thinking, I'm not weird, you are weird. <laughs> like every, <laughs> we all have our quirks. <laughs> we just don't know that yes. they're weird. But yeah. it's funny because, yeah, my husband always say like just this off-the-cuff thing and he's like, Corinne, nobody else thinks that. You can't just say that. And I'm like, what, 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 why? He's like, no, 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 you can't. You know, like if I talk about home birth or any random extended breastfeeding or things that are uh, that for me I'm just so used to part of my life my personal life but they're not part of the mainstream's current belief system and the way things are out there and so I and I do now just I say it off the cuff and think that everyone just understands what I'm talking about but that they're not in that in that space they haven't been in that space and it's actually quite I sound like I'm deranged. <laughs> I, yeah, I, I completely understand where you're coming for, uh, coming from, and I totally relate. I think, you know, I can remember looking at other people's behaviour when I was younger and thinking, why do people do the things that they do? And then various school subjects like ancient history and society and culture where, where you're looking at cultures that, are, that aren't your own, I'd notice other people's reactions. Oh, why do they do that? And I think, well, because that's what they're brought up to do. Why do you think you do what you're doing? Because you were brought up to do it. And this applies across the board. You know, why, why do we wear the clothes we wear? Because that's what we're brought up to i mean i could wear a turban yeah <laughs> why do we eat what we eat because everyone around us is doing that why so it's really it is across the border you've either got a questioning mindset which then opens you up to new perspectives or you don't and the people who don't are kind of hard to reach on anything new <laughs> But if you listen to this podcast, you've got a questioning mindset, of course, and so you're just going to be... <laughs> you belong. <laughs> you belong and you'll be low-fat, whole-food, plant-based by this evening, next meal you have. <laughs> Amen to that. Amen. <laughs> so tell us a bit about how you eat, like a day in the life of your food. People who are just listening going, well, yeah, that's all well and good, but what what do we eat? Yeah, sure. Okay, so... I've been practicing time-restricted eating for the last, oh, not quite a year, probably since February or March of, of 2017, where 
I have a, a fairly long overnight fast, so about a 16-hour overnight fast, and then I break the fast usually around midday. It'll be a bit later today because that's when we're talking. Um, and the first thing that normally passes my lips is, is fruit. So there'll be a you know variety of fresh fruit with some brown linseed on top to tick my omega-3 fatty acid box. Then the next meal that I, that I eat will be a, a salad. I love my big raw salads, loads of leafy greens with all the other things that you stick in a salad, you know, tomatoes and cucumber and grated carrot and all that good stuff. And along with that, I'll have a starch. So that could be baked potato or sweet potato. I love baking a whole tray of starch veggies and I just leave them in the fridge and they're great for lunches they're great for snacks you can reheat them and and, and have them for dinner with a nice bean mix on top and they're so versatile so if it's not potato it might it'll be some other starch like maybe rice or quinoa and then usually a legume could be hummus could be a homemade lentil burger could be last night's leftover Mexican bean mix that we didn't quite get through and dinner's always centered around loads and loads of veggies. I'm really, really huge on green leafy veggies. So we, in my household of four people, we go through usually four bunches of kale and, and, and two bunches of a silver beet or chard a week. And then, you know, usually there's a bunch of broccoli in there somewhere too for a stir fry. So loads of greens, loads of other colorful veggies, Stir-fry is big on our menu, so it might be stir-fried veg with tofu on brown rice. Last night we had sauteed uh, broccoli and, and, and chard and zucchini. I like putting things in the slow cooker because it's really cool to have your whole sm whole health smell of this fragrant, you know, veggie, spicy, tomato-y thing. And then, of course, come dinner time, you don't have to do any work. You just open the lid and there it is. So... Yeah, we, we do a lot of I, – I, I really enjoy ethnic cuisines, Lebanese, Tunisian, uh, Greek, um, Asian. Uh, we don't always eat fancy stuff. I mean, Sunday night is often a Buddha bowl where it's just <laughs> grab the leftover rice and the leftover That's like sweet three potato. nights a week for us. <laughs> <laughs> Steam up some veggies, put on a sauce, and, yeah, there's dinner on the table in five minutes. Or, or I'd have put it all out on a platter and, and each family member can sort of make their own Buddha bowl. So, yeah, I do like to cook, but I also work um, one or two nights a week, and so there have to be easy options available then as well. So that that's often going to be the Buddha bowl, Buddha bowl night. <laughs> just we've haven't got long long left, so just want two things. One, the last question that I really want to ask you for other people is just your three biggest tips for someone who's listening and thinking. Well, actually, give me your three reasons why you think this is the greatest thing to do for your health and then give me your three biggest tips. Just, just if they need extra convincing. There, there are just so many lines of evidence that all converge in the same place, which is that a whole food plant-based diet, it's just the right diet for human beings. So how do we know this? First up, we have epidemiological evidence or evidence from population-based studies. And many of these are very long-running and they all point in the same direction. The more whole plant foods people eat, the more fruit, veggies, whole grains, legumes, and to some extent nuts and seeds that a population eats, the greater their freedom 
from chronic degenerative Western lifestyle diseases. So the, the lower their rate of Alzheimer's disease and type 2 diabetes and obesity and breast cancer and bowel cancer and, and prostate cancer. And we the second line of, of scientific evidence is that there's so much research now that's been done on, on the actual mechanisms at the cellular level by which food talks to our genes. And so what I mean by that is that every time you eat, you're not just getting nutrients as in, oh, you know, I just ate an apple and now I've got vitamins and minerals from it. That that food actually communicates with your genes. And the messages that plant foods send to our genes are ones that kind of um, upregulate our, our self-protective mechanisms. So plant foods help us repair our DNA, preserve our telomeres so that we age slower. And animal foods and also refined uh, carbohydrate foods have the opposite effect. So animal foods and refined carbohydrate foods uh, exacerbate cancer. They cause insulin resistance, making people more likely to become diabetic. And then the third level is the intervention level. So we now have so many published studies on what happens when you put people on a whole food plant-based diet. We have denormative studies showing that you can reverse advanced coronary heart disease and early stage prostate cancer. We have uh, Claudel Esselstyn studies showing that you can reverse heart disease as well. We have various uh, um, um, Sorry, might want to edit that out. Um, we have Neil Barnard's work, among others, showing that you can reverse type 2 diabetes. In my own practice, I've seen the most traumatic transformations of people who have had high blood pressure for years to decades. They go on a whole food plant-based diet and their blood pressure comes down, they get off their medications. Um, recently, I saw a man with multiple sclerosis and within two weeks of going on a whole food plant-based diet, he had stopped having these crippling episodes of fatigue. When I first saw him, he was planning on winding up his stonemasonry business at the age of 54, selling everything and moving into a nursing home. And two weeks after going on a whole food plant-based diet, he's making plans to expand his business. That is so awesome. It is just amazing. So we've got the published research and then those of us who are working in this field just have the evidence that's in front of our eyes that whatever you've got going wrong in your body, the chances are very, very good that a whole food plant-based diet will, will either fix it up entirely or make it considerably better. There is a point of no return with certain disease conditions, but you, you can't make your health worse on this diet and the prospect is, is, the, is very real that you'll make it immeasurably better. So we should do it because of the evidence. We, we should do it because, because it's the right thing to do for the other animals with, with, with whom we share this planet and the other humans with whom we share this planet who aren't as fortunate as us. If you look at the sheer amount of food resources that would be freed up to feed hungry people, including hungry children everywhere, if we stopped wastefully cycling our plant foods through animals, uh, losing you know 90% of, of, of the, the calories from plant foods in order to grow meat or dairy products, I mean, it, it's just a ludicrous waste of our, of our resources and completely irresponsible. And then there's the effect of, of the Western diet on climate change. We're not even going to have a planet to bequeath to, to 
our you know our great grandchildren if we don't arrest climate change. So there are just so many reasons to go whole food plant based beyond our health. As a health practitioner, that's clearly my focus is is putting people on a whole food plant based diet for health. But there are other reasons besides to to adopt this way of eating. Okay, so what are your three tips? Someone had to start today. They're like, okay, love what you're saying, awesome. But where do I begin? What would be your three tips for a beginner? Okay, so I'd I'd start off with the the realization that the average household has about nine main courses that they cycle through, you know, ad infinitum, and so you don't have to come up with fifty thousand new recipes. I I favor the three three and three approach. Okay, think of three meals that you like to eat that are already plant based. And you know, maybe you just need to cut a little bit of processed food out of them, but, but they're, they're, they're pretty good as plant-based as they are. Now think of three dishes that you make that could easily be made whole food plant-based. So, for example, if you love stir-fries but currently you put chicken or beef in your stir-fries, well, just put tofu in there instead. Keep the rest of it as is but add some tofu. And then the, the remaining three is just, you know, don't, don't overwhelm yourself with new recipes but find a good whole food plant-based cookbook. I'm particularly fond of Plant Pure Nation by Leanne Campbell. I also like the China Study Quick and Easy cookbook and let me see any of the any of John McDougall's or Mary McDougall's cookbooks I should say or John McDougall's books that have Mary McDougall's recipes in them. They're an excellent place to start. Just pick three, just three. That's all you need to get you started. Then you'll have those nine main courses and, and you'll be set. Now, over time, you'll probably want to experiment and find some new recipes. That's fine, but don't overwhelm yourself to start with. The second thing would be I, I favour the crowding out approach. In other words, instead of focusing on I can't have this and I can't have that, which makes people feel really irk, uh, I would favor the approach of crowding out the stuff that you're wanting to reduce or, or eliminate, crowd it off your plate. So fill up your plate with beautiful, colorful fruit. I mean, at the time that we're talking now, it's it, it's it's stone fruit season and it's mango season, and I'm just completely besotted with nectarines and and papaya, and they're just so delicious. So crowd out your crowd out the junk with fruit, crowd it out with vegetables. Um, I suppose third tip would be if you currently eat a fairly limited range of fruits and vegetables, just set yourself a fairly manageable goal of every week you're going to try a new fruit and a new vegetable, something that you either haven't had before or maybe you have had it before but you didn't like it. Uh, I hated pumpkin when I was growing up. And again, my mother wasn't a particularly enthusiastic cook, so I hate to blame my mother, but it could have had something to do with that. And and then subsequently I decided I was going to try pumpkin out again, and now I absolutely adore it. But I just bake it in the oven, nothing on it, just cut it up and bake it, and it is absolutely glorious. So those would be my my, my top three tips. Actually. Making me really hungry now. Like I only had breakfast at 11.30 because I also do intermittent fasting. And I'm just like, I'm not actually hungry at all, but. <laughs> you're, you're smelling that aroma. Now I'm thinking of pumpkin and baked potatoes and I've made this chickpea quiche thing in the oven and I'm 
thinking I'm going to be eating again. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's all healthy food. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, so now just on to your work. So I want you to tell everyone what you do and how they can find you and where where you are and, yeah, what kind of things you offer support with, basically, and the links and anything like that. And I will post them again in the outro and in the show notes for anyone. So if you miss this part of the podcast somehow, you'll find them again in the show notes and in the outro and intro so you'll be fine terrific okay well my my website is probably the best place for people to start and it's www.empowertotalhealth.com.au and on my website i have an enormous number of whole food plant-based recipes they're all sugar salt and oil free so if you want some inspiration or some ideas about how to get started just head over to the recipe section i also have hundreds of, of, of articles on all sorts of health and nutrition related topics. They're all free. You can access them all through the, there's a learn tab. If you click on that, there's a drop down menu. And from there, you can access the recipes and videos and articles. Everything that I write, I, I fully reference. And I'm big on that. I, we, we really need to, to stick with science in the whole food plant-based movement. And there's fortunately, there's plenty of science to support our, our point of view on this. So you can read my articles. If you want to work with me as a client, I see clients face-to-face in my office. I'm in the south of Sydney. But something like 70% of my consultations these days are online because I have clients in different parts of, of, of the state, the country, overseas. I can normally fit people in no matter what time zone you're in. We can figure out a time that works for both of us. And so all of that info is on my website. If you just go to the Work With Robin tab, you, you'll see that. If you're interested in my Empower Ed program, there is a one-month free trial. So if you want to just hop on board, check it out, you can access all of the content immediately. There's no waiting period. So as soon as you sign up for your one-month free trial, you get access to hundreds of hours of, of all the previous Q&A webinars, um, all the previous webinars on, on topics, everything from bone health to gluten to soy to women's health issues, getting into an exercise habit, should you have cancer, uh, screening tests. I've covered so many things. Wow, what a resource. That's incredible. It's all available to you as soon as you sign up for your one-month free trial and you can join in the live webinars as well, which is always a lot of fun. There's two of those a month. And I'm on Facebook, um, so if you just go into Facebook and look for Empower Total Health, there I am. I have a Twitter account, which is at Empowered, uh, at Empowered Robin. And I, I don't tweet as often as I, as I interact on Facebook. I'm, you know, reasonably busy on Facebook, so that's not a bad way to, to stay in touch with me. Oh, and I have a YouTube channel. So if you just go into YouTube and look for Empower Total Health, you'll, you'll see I've done a lot of a lot of videos, um, again about various health topics. What a wealth of resources for people who are trying, who are wanting to adopt this diet and fi- and find out information and get them make yourself more informed. It's such a great, um, it's a great service that you're doing for for everyone. Thank you so much. It's it's my absolute pleasure and privilege to do this. And my business name, Empower Total Health, that's that's my approach, right? I don't I, I want when people come to see me or even when they just access my my website, I want them to come away from that experience feeling really empowered to be in charge of their health 
rather than transferring that power over to some expert, whether it be a doctor, whether it be a blogger, whether it be me. I don't want to be anyone's guru. You become your own expert on health. If you don't, if you don't invest the time to find out about health and what you need to do to, to to restore it and protect it, you'll spend that time down the track in a hospital or a doctor's waiting room. <laughs> so you, you're going to spend roughly the same amount of time on your health whether you put the effort in now to inform yourself properly and take the steps that you need to be in charge of your health, or whether you lose your health and have to work really hard to get it back. <laughs> mm, exactly, exactly. Such a really important point because people do think, I know myself when I was first, before I was diagnosed with MS, you know, you have, you know, the headaches, the constipation, the fatigue, the pain, the depression, all these things, and you're eating this way. And a lot of people kind of just think that's, and anyone who you talk to, most people you talk to who are on a Western mainstream diet will say, I'm tired, I don't go to the toilet enough, I feel this, I feel sluggish, I'm exhausted, and not and still think that eating this way is too, too extreme. Uh, and, and so it's interesting because you're like, you know, you could feel terrible for a really long time being at doctors on painkillers constantly and doing all these different things, taking time off work because you're – totally fatigued and depleted or you could eat some plants and barely go to the doctor again until I, I hardly ever go to the doctor now. Yeah, you're so right. You are so right. And the problem is that um, the, the hardest part of change is the contemplation of it. People think that it's going to be so inordinately difficult to change their eating habits, and yet when they do it, they find that mostly it's so much easier than they ever thought it would be. Sure, there are challenges along the way, but most of the thing, most of the terrible things that we think are going to happen when we change, they don't happen. It's it, we get in our own way. And I do a lot of work with with people because I have a counselling background as well as my, my naturopathy and nutrition background. I do a lot of work with people on their belief systems and how they just trip themselves up with their own thinking patterns. It's, it's a much bigger problem than the practical issues of what do I eat. You can solve that one pretty fast, but, but uh, what goes on in people's heads around change is a more complex issue. <laughs> my mum my made me read that. Who Moved My Cheese book when I was like 20. Did you ever read that little tiny book? No. She, I, th- I don't think she'd read a book for years and she read this little tiny book called Who Moved My Cheese and she said, you should read this. And I was like 20 and it's, t- it's just a thin, really big writing, tiny little book, but basically it's about humans, human nature and saying like mice, if humans and mice were in a maze with piles of cheese, if, if the mice ate their cheese pile, they'd just sniff around and go, oh, there's no more cheese, and they'd shrug their shoulders and off they'd go and they'd find more cheese. But the humans, we the cheese is our thing and we own it and it's ours and we can't leave it and we have to be with it forever. And when we finish the cheese, we just sit there and cry and sook and we lose our whole thing. But a mouse just goes, oh, any other animal would just go, Oh, okay, I'll do something else. But a human, we identify with it and that belong to us and we kill people for touching it. And, you know, like it's just, it's such a bizarre, we think, we think we're the top of the food chain, but we're just this, 
the mice are smarter evolving and adapting to change than we are. We just are so funny how we are. It's a, it's a really simple cheat, but it was really like, oh, you know, it's so funny how we we hoard our stuff and we hoard our beliefs and hold on so desperately to these. It's really simple. It's a good, it's a good little book. <laughs> that that sounds amazing. I want to read that. I I think I'll take that away and read it over my Christmas break. <laughs> it, 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 it's literally an evening read. <laughs> like it's it's cool. it's like but that, fifty that pages. Nails it. It's the attachment. It's the attachment. it's the attachment to the idea. It's it's the thought that people have. Oh, you mean for the rest of my life I could never eat cheese again? You know, and they really really do get worked up about it. And and I remember feeling that way, right? it is just human nature yeah we're not i'm not bashing people either i did the exact same i used to make my husband literally eat it and describe the food to me i was just desperate or i would put it in my mouth and swish it around and spit it out you know like yeah i i'm not at all above anyone else i was desperate too about giving up on my habits and my big pile of cheese that i wanted to hold on to yes Yes, and then after you let it go or after you've gone through that transition phase, you look back and you say, what on earth was I so disturbed about? It's like I don't even think about those things anymore. It's the furthest thing from my mind. And and I think that change happens faster than people give it credit, but they're afraid. They're afraid of that, that they're going to be plagued by that sense of loss and lack and grief and bereavement. (laughs) whatever it is they were attached to. Yeah. Yes. Humans. We are very complicated. <laughs> so anyway, that was a bit of a, a side. I don't, anyway, but thank you so much for coming on the podcast and sharing your information with us. And I really excited. I find your work so exciting and I think it's such a, it's so important for people in Australia as well, because that's where you're based, but you know, you're available across the world. So it's amazing worldwide your support, your online community, your website, your resources that are on there. Uh, it's such a valuable asset to this low fat whole food community. And I myself am super grateful that you're doing the work that you're doing and spreading this message in a scientific, educated, responsible, um, holistic way. Well, thank you, Corinne. And, and thanks again for having me on the podcast. And I really, I'm so excited by the number of, of podcasts that are starting too. And because it's such a great medium for transmitting this message to people who might otherwise not encounter it. So you know, kudos to everything that you're doing to spread the word too. And may you grow and prosper with your podcast. Thanks, Robin. Thanks so much for being episode 25, which is a very exciting milestone for some reason anyway. Yes. So thank you for listening. And you can find Robin and her work. You can follow her on social media at Empower Total Health on Facebook, on YouTube, and Empowered Robin on Twitter. And you can also find her at her website, www.empowertotalhealth.com.au. And she has so many great resources on her website and blog posts and information. And, yep, you can find her, work with her. She's based in Sydney. She's awesome. 
and so, so, so helpful and passionate about her work. So yes, definitely look her up. She even has webinar programs. Empower Ed is her webinar program. You can look her up, join her Facebook groups, all those kinds of things, and really get your health in check and then sort it out. Thank you very much for listening and I'll see you next week.